sing as one for this country we're walking on we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand welcome to another episode of the environmental as anything podcast you are tuned into Environmental As Anything. We have on the line Amanda King from Lock the Gate Alliance uh, to tell us what's going on this week uh, with the, uh, uh, the gas field push out west. Hey, Amanda, how are you doing today? Hey, mate. I'm doing really good, Sean. How are you going? Great. Yeah, really good. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> Enjoying that mid-winter chill, you know? Oh, my God, I love it. It's my favourite time of year. <laughs> It's a shame it's getting so short. I know, I know, I agree. But uh, look, you've, uh, you, you, you were on last week uh, explaining the, the situation with the IPC and uh, the Pelliga. But for those who might have had to slip out to, you know, for a call of nature or for some other reason who might not have been listening, um, can you give us a brief uh, summary of what's going on? Absolutely. Well, we are now facing our very last chance to stop the coal seam gas the Narrabri Coal Seam Gas Project in um, in the northwest of New South Wales around Narrabri and the Pilliga. Um, so this has been a very long process. It's been dragging out for now 11 years, and uh, and we are now right at the very pointy end. So they are calling for the then by they I mean the Independent Planning Commission is calling for um, written and verbal um, submissions to be made. And so we are just really encouraging everybody to participate in that process and just let them know that these, um, the people in New South Wales really are not keen on the coal seam gas industry. Mm. Well, it's, uh, you know, people obviously aren't keen and there's, uh, you know, there's a, a growing uh, awareness and uh, that there's no economic uh, justification. Santos has sunk, what is it, $7 billion or $11 billion into this so far? Yeah, that sounds about correct. There's staggering amounts of money being poured down the coal black hole. Um, But, uh, you know, coming up is an opportunity for people to actually uh, do something about this, isn't there? It's uh, it's the IPC, uh, you know, so can we, the the IPC is going to be a a public event, isn't it? We're going to be able to participate from out here. Yeah, that's right. So because of COVID um, restrictions, COVID-19, social distancing and the way we live changing a little bit, they have, uh, they've, they've changed the process. So the Independent Planning Commission process has moved largely online, which is good for us, I suppose, Sean, because it's going to enable us to watch it. Mm. Um, and also it's made it easier for people who live in good regional centres like we do mm. um, to participate because we have access to, to good internet mm. and we can um, log on with fairly minimal... Um, interruption. Mm. So, so, um, but we've had a lot of people who live out in the northwest um, who are concerned about their ability to participate, especially when giving verbal um, submissions. Like, so, um, you know, everybody will have a chance that will be coming up at the end of July between the twentieth and the twenty fourth. We're all going to be able to watch it online. So, I'm actually really looking forward to it. Mm. But, but if, but if you do want to register to, to actually speak, and now is the time to do so, if, you've, if anyone out there has had strong 
views about the Narrabri Coal Seam Gas Project, now is really the time to air those and the best place to do that would be right directly to the Independent Planning Commissioners. And um, to do that, you really need to register your interest to speak by the 10th of um, June. Right. No, July. Tenth of July. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Tenth <laughs> of June. Oh well. <laughs> yeah, which, which is you know, which is good for us because we can do that. But there are a lot of people out in the northwest, and it's very well known that internet is really quite patchy out there. Mm. And and one of the things that the Independent Planning Commission is asking for people to provide um, is a is a working landline mm. when people register to speak. And of course, that's an issue out there because a lot of people just simply don't have landmines anymore. They use We all use mobile phones. Yeah. So there's a lot of issues like that coming up that we're seeing, and especially when we do, when we keep in touch with our friends and family out in the northwest and just to keep in touch with them and see how they're going. It's a lot of problems that they're having like that. Mm. Yeah. It is hard, isn't it? Like there's so many people who are restricted in their uh, in their communications, but uh, but there's there's a, there's a bit of a trade-off, isn't there? Because it would be very difficult for many of us to from this far afield to get into Narrabri. It's quite a significant commitment to drive all that way. Whereas being able to sit in your jammies in your bedroom, uh, doing uh, you know making a submission to a government process uh, sounds like relatively convenient and comfortable. Because because the IPC it's not and the the Hearings are not going to be held in a big room. This is what usually happens due to COVID. So the and and no area is being provided to the public by the IPC. There's a bunch of um, locals out in the northwest, and they're looking for a larger venue out there. So um, so locals can gather and be together and watch it on a big screen, watch it all together before they go off and make their submission and come back and then continue watching it together. So there will be a really, you know, there's a lot of camaraderie out there, and I think that that's really nice to see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's... uh... It's it's uh, it's obviously uh, important, so important to the northern rivers, and it, that, that we've um, that we've managed to fight off the gas field threat here. But uh, and and so many people so passionately committed to that cause here. But it really isn't over, is it? Until those people out west are safe, you know, and we're not, we're not none of us are safe until all of us are. Yeah, exactly right, Sean. And I think we've seen how the industry spreads up through Queensland. We've we, you know we've we've seen how it happens. And, and and it's also important to remember that the Narrabri gas field is only one of seven yeah. out there. So so once once this once it gets up and running, you know, hopefully it, it doesn't, but once it does, yeah, it will spread and it will continue to risk the 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 water, the the, the groundwater, the Great Artesian Basin. Mm. It'll, you know, continue with the fragmentation and devastation of our um, habitats for our native wolves, you know, and and of course affect the social cohesion in communities out west and affect farmland. Mm. It's, it's the the impacts go on, and there's such such a risk for twenty years for resources that we really don't need anymore. No, a resource which is just moral is is becoming increasingly obvious is economically unviable. There's there's no it's a it's a it's not a bridge to anywhere. It's a it's a it's an abyss. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Mm. Yeah, and I know um, Bruce Robinson has got some really um, 
really profound things to say about this, so it'll be good to listen to him shortly on this program. Oh, you know, we've got Tim Buckley from IEFA. Oh, Tim, Tim Buckley. Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Fabulous. But, yeah, yes, they will. They, they do go into... Yeah, and Meg Nielsen does a great job, of course, interviewing him. So what... Um, what are we doing now? What's what's what are we asking people to do today? And uh, and what and what else? What's the bigger picture? Is there is there other news that we need to be to be aware of as we as we going forward here? Well, I think there's probably um, I think there's probably always always bigger news. But I think the most urgent news at the moment, and the thing I'd like to continue to plug this week, is to please continue to have a look at writing your own unique submission to the Independent Planning Commission. And there's a couple of really, really important things that I would ask people if they are going to do this, and please do. Um, you don't have to be a scientist. It doesn't have to be written like a um, university report. You no. could write it as a letter. You could write it as personal as you would like it to be. Yep. As long as you address some of the issues around the most recent report that came out from the Department of Environment planning and um, industry. And, and, you know, because the, the, there are some specific things that the commissioners will be looking for in submissions and that and, and that will be that the submissions relate to the content of the assessment of, the, of this final assessment report or the things that people feel should be in the final assessment report and aren't. Right. So if people want a little bit more information about this, there, there's some documents on um, Lock the Gate. Um, I should have had it up here. Hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> on, well, uh, the Lock the Gate uh, website? Yeah, it is. It's a Lock the Gate website. So it is lockthegate.org.au. And I think it is backslash lockthegate.org.au backslash around CSG, around Narrabri. Yep. But, you know, I mean, if they Google lock the gate, Narrabri tells them go. They'll um, find it. Yep. It'll be just the first, first thing that pops up. And there's a, there's two submission writing guides that have been preparing there. One is a long version and the other is a short version. And the, the, the long version really is a comprehensive um, guide outlining the contents of the 400-page assessment report and really giving people a pretty sound understanding of uh, what angles they can take in their submission. And also, when you're writing a submission, or even preparing to make a verbal one, um, and, and you can do both of those things by going to the ITC website. However, if you are planning on doing that, just make sure that you include a little bit about yourself in the beginning. Oh, you know, yeah. A little bit about yourself and why you are concerned, and then list out your reasons. Yeah, because as you said, it's not a scientific or a legal document as much as it is as a heartfelt plea. You know, it's it's good to yes. for people to be able to recognise, uh, you know, that they're they're putting themselves uh, and their personal opinions and feelings about this uh, are, are are vitally important to the process. Exactly, that's exactly right. They really are. And it's also, I guess, um, you know, it's not just a matter of each uh, listener going off and, and writing a report, uh, writing their, their submission and, and, and applying to speak, but also to speak to their friends, to share it on social media, etc., cetera, uh, so that others get the idea that this is a, an important and urgent thing that needs to be done straight away. Exactly. That's right. And it's, it's real, it's, it'd be really great if we can get the energy around it that we've got 
last time. Last time it was much easier to do that because we were all out and about functioning in the world. Yep. So things are a little bit different. But last time we were able to get over 22,000 submissions. And, um, that's it. That's it. just such an impressive result. We really uh, should should do better than that this time. I mean, I understand also, I, I happen to know that there are people, uh, dedicated volunteers, who are making the effort to uh, phone around uh, to Lock the Gate uh, supporters. Yeah, absolutely. We've had, we've had about 75, well, no, about 80, I think. We've got up to about 80 people who were willing to give up their time and hit the phones and make calls to... Well, we managed to reach out to two and a half thousand people wow, over that... the last couple of weeks and just have conversations with them, letting them know where the project is up to and making sure that they know how to engage. Yeah. And, and that's been a fabulous process. It's been so good to talk to people and to hear, especially the people in the northwest, you know, like actually reaching out to them and, and, and we're and so and we've also compiled a list of people who don't have the internet people out there who don't even have a computer in their house anymore, you know, well, they probably never did, but, like, people who actually don't have the ability to engage in that way, and so, you know, we're going to be sending them out materials, like the submission writing guides and what have you, so they can make handwritten um, submissions. Fantastic. It sounds like there's heaps of resources for people to be able to do this to make it easy as possible. It'd be great if people, uh, when they do get those phone calls, because they are ongoing, aren't they? Yeah, well, yep. yeah, they, that will be ongoing. We're just going to be changing our focus. Right. So we're going to be um, laying off the calls now for, the, for this coming week, and then we're going to be changing our focus a little bit. Okay. But um, it's all a work in progress. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it's just great if people, when they do get those calls, you're not being telemarketed. This isn't uh, a robo uh, process. These people are sitting at home uh, volunteering, you know, spending their time and, and money of their own phone bills, etc. So, so try to treat them with respect rather than dismissing them out of hand. And in fact, yeah, try, absolutely. you know, like it's it's uh, it's an important community uh, contribution that they're, they're they're making out there. Yeah, that's right, and 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 that, and that has been the case too, Sean. Everybody, yeah. I, don't, I haven't had anyone say that someone anyone's been rude or, um, you know, everybody's been quite quite keen to chat and quite um, pleased about to receive the phone call. That's great, Amanda. Is there anything else we need to cover before we wrap it up? Mate, I could talk all afternoon about it, but let's not, Sean. Well, let's sure let's let's make it, let's make time next week to, to cover anything that we, that you have left unsaid, and uh, uh, and any news that comes up next week, we can we can perhaps uh, we can get you in again. Yeah, that'd be great. Excellent. Thanks, Pete. No worries, Amanda. Thank you Thanks, so Sean. much. You're welcome. Have a good week. Yeah, you too, mate. Bye bye. Bye. And that was Amanda King from Lock the Gate talking about the uh, urgent need for people to get on and uh, make a submission for the uh, Narrabri gas field threat uh, and uh, and do what we can from here to and even vol- and putting our name forward as uh, to speak at the virtual public meeting, which is going to be uh, happening out there. Uh, over in, the, in a couple of months' time, so it's good to get in there. You've got to get in, make your submission before the tenth uh, of uh, of July to uh, to get uh, to get in the queue to be able to actually speak. So, uh, yeah, get in today. Have a look at the Lock the Gate uh, Facebook page and/or website and uh, check out the details. They've got all the guidance you could possibly need and share it around with your friends if you can. 
We're going to play that track, This Land Is Your Land, uh, from the uh, Bentley Blockade CD. We'll come back with uh, Meg Nielsen's interview with Tim Buckley on uh, the gas field industry and uh, uh, the International Energy Agency's uh, new report on uh, the stimulus, uh, the COVID stimulus uh, imperatives. This land is your land This land is my land From Franklin River To Thursday Island From Monkey Maya To Byron Bay Don't let them take it away Well, I went walking The old Pacific Highway I saw above me Anything. Now we have Tim Buckley on the phone and uh, Tim is the um, uh, director 
of Energy Finance Studies Australasia with the Institute of Energy Economics and Financial Analysis, always affectionately known as IEFA. Good morning, Tim. Morning, Meg. Thank you so much for making the time to talk with us today. It's um, a fabulous report from uh, the International Energy Agency. Uh, it is. It would be even better if our government were to listen to what the IEA is actually saying and uh, adopt the policy measures that the IEA is suggesting. It uh, would certainly give a very strong kickstart to our economy, which is absolutely needed. Yes, and indeed. it would drive employment, drive decarbonisation, drive industries of the future, all of the sort of things that our government should be working on. Do we think that there's any hope of uh, our government listening? I mean, I'm sure there are governments around the world who will uh, see the um, uh, benefits of uh, this plan. Absolutely, and the benefits are multitude. So we've already seen the German government come out 100% uh, in advance of the IEA report with exactly the same sort of measures. We've seen the South Korean government announce its green stimulus and driving again industries of the future. So our major trading partners are moving and uh, it would be great if the Australian federal government decided it would uh, buy in and look to serve the people of Australia as they should. But uh, unfortunately, we've already seen the, the COVID gas committee report, the draft uh, report. Yes. And uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about looking after the fossil fuel industry incumbents, unfortunately. It's an extraordinary capture uh, of um, the fossil fuel industry uh, of this government. Isn't it? Really? And, and, you know, I mean, both the Liberals, National Party and Labour too, to a, you know, I don't know, maybe to a lesser extent or maybe it just seems that way. But uh, it's an extraordinary capture. I, I just, I'm overwhelmed every time I read anything about it. It's unbelievable capture, exactly. And so effectively, the fossil fuel industry is sitting there dictating how the Australian government, federal government will act. Indeed. and. Uh, I mean, it, it's, yeah, I mean, I, the word corrupt comes to mind, but total regulatory capture is the uh, polite phrase for it. But, uh, it. It is amazing that they uh, are so brazen in their demands. I mean, we had the Minerals Council of Australia, the coal lobby group, come out with a uh, bit of greenwash yesterday claiming that they were now finally acknowledging five years after the Paris Climate Agreement they were going to acknowledge that. But, of course... All it was was a, a bit of greenwash. Mm, so, mm. And they have no uh, uh, no policy statement whatsoever, do they, on climate change? Well, no intention to actually adhere no, it. Their, no. their whole mandate is to delay and obfuscate to uh, mm. ensure they can dig as much coal. And I mean, the, the QRC chief lobbyist was on the ABC yesterday with me and he was just saying, well, we've just got to be the last country in the world digging up coal. Now, I don't really Good see the merit Lord. of that for our country, but uh, he's bought and paid for. The integrity seems to be an issue. I was watching Q&A last night and they, they were talking about a, a lot of issues and over and over again, um, I, I saw there were representatives who were considering all sorts of things, you know, whether something was legal, but uh, integrity and uh, ethics uh, just seem to be missing from the equation altogether. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, well, I'm, I would think we need a federal ICAC. I think we need freedom of the Australian press. We should have Australian press. We yes. should have um, a tax on all the global IT firms that pay no corporate tax in Australia. I mean, they're oh, free absolutely. riding on our journalists and destroying our democracy. So, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, you don't know where to start. It's, the system's been so corrupted by... Uh, the incumbent fossil fuel industry, but yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, the good news is we are going to win this this war. Whether it'll happen in time to save the planet, who knows? But mm. I mean, the the unbelievable thing is the magnitude of momentum around the world driving renewable energy deflation and driving the world to green hydrogen and yes. meanwhile our government's talking about fossil hydrogen. That's right, yes. <laughs> using brown coal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's find the most emissions-intensive source of fuel and yes. burn it for electric. Yes. Burn it into fossil hydrogen and yeah, yeah. put a bit of greenwash spin on it. I must say that every time I look at your website or, or anything like that, I am delighted by uh, the statement, this analysis highlights the technology and finance-driven inevitability of a global transition toward a lower emissions system. Uh, I know there is the concern that it's not happening quickly enough, but, you know, the fact that the work you do, um, bringing, bringing to the attention of the community um, the madness, the insanity, is, uh, is, is so valuable. Yeah, thank you. Um, it, I mean, I, I do get re, reassured every time I look at what's happening in global corporations. I mean, in the last week, we've seen some staggering comments from companies like any a, a big oil and gas company of Italy, and it's saying, oh, no, no, we want to diversify as fast as we possibly can into renewable energy. And then you go EDP of France, we want to diversify, we want to double our investment in renewable energy in the next 30 years. And, and the, the list just keeps going on and on. And yet, mm. Uh, mm. so ultimately, the corporates will move. And I mean, probably the biggest statement last week I saw was the acknowledgement from Guitar Madani, I mean, the, the principal behind the Galilee um, climate bomb called Carmichael. And yet he goes, look, we've seen solar prices drop 99% in the last four decades and they will drop another 99% in the next four decades. So electricity will become variable but virtually free um, over the next couple of decades. And so then it becomes all about commercialising and scaling up the green hydrogen. So we might even see countries like India jump a generation of technologies, jump over lithium-ion and move straight to green hydrogen using virtually free electricity when the sun's shining or when the wind's blowing, as the fossil fools keep saying. Yeah. Um, so in other words, when electricity is free, we convert it into green hydrogen, we convert it into ammonia, we convert it into a store of electricity and then use it in peak periods of de power demand. And so in that environment, we actually should be looking forward to decades of deflation across the world in energy systems. And that brings all sorts of positive implications for energy security because, I mean, how many wars have been fought in the Middle East in the last 50 years over oil supply? And yet you've got countries like China just driving as fast as they possibly can towards electric vehicles. I mean, yes. and, and you look at China in the last 
last year, China installed 99% of all the world's buses that were electric, and, not, and China did 99%. So it's not like they're leading the race. They are the race. The race, yeah. yeah. That's the sort of magnitude that China's doing. They have no questions over this decarbonisation and building industries of the future. So mm. unfortunately for Australia and for our children, I mean, that means our economy is going to be decidedly weakened by a decade of inaction and, and obfuscation. Yeah, even this time when this is such a marvellous chance for, um, you know, striding ahead uh, using these stimulus packages, uh, the likes of Ross Garneau and people like that have, have been putting forward and, you know, now the IEA putting forward these marvellous roadmaps forward. And, uh, I mean, this this whole idea of being stuck just because we have coal and gas under our feet why haven't they got the vision to see that we also have probably more solar, uh, more solar radiation and wind than maybe any other nation? This is this is a resource that we don't have to dig up. Yeah, I think there have been plenty of studies to show the resources curse is real and... Uh, so Australia is blessed with natural resources, whether they're wind, whether they're solar, whether they're hydro or whether they're fossil. Mm. And that curse means that when you have politicians and private individuals able to capture public goods and then convert them into private gain and externalise all of the costs, yeah. it does become a curse on our economy. And so you effectively have our federal politicians like... Angus Taylor and Matt and oh, just holding the reins yeah. as tight as they possibly can to hold the Australian economy back. Yeah. And it's it's futile, but it's mm. so destructive to Australia's economic um, sustainable growth. And yet they just they're just bought and paid for. They're fossil fuel incumbents, and they, that's how they get re-elected. They need the we need donation reform as much as anything else to. Uh, to actually make our politicians serve Australians rather than to serve their foreign billionaire tax haven-based buddies. Yeah, that's a, that's so much the case. And the misinformation that they're putting out there to communities who are currently, uh, you know, coal dependent uh, is a real tragedy. I mean, otherwise... It, it in, is a tragedy. Yeah, it's, I yeah. mean, it's, it should be criminal that these... Yes politicians are lobbying for projects they know have no commercial viability. No. The only way they can go forward is with massive taxpayer subsidies by companies that don't pay tax. Yeah. And yet they're deluding the, the communities and yet you look at these communities and not only are their jobs dependent on it, their family dependent on those jobs, but their household wealth. So they own their houses, but they're stuck in coal towns and they, mm. they've got no alternative because yeah. the government's giving them no no future, no hope. So effectively, they then have to vote to try and stay in their jobs because that's the only way the house is actually worth anything. So it just becomes... I mean, you look around the world and coal-based communities are the poorest, worst health and least educated communities globally, whether it's in India, in America, or in Australia. I mean, it's, it's an indictment on the coal industry. It's, it's really, I mean, on top of that, you've just got all the corruption. I mean, there's an investigation going on that says that 45 to 50% of all Australian coal exports in the last decade have been fraudulently um, 
inflated in terms of their value to our customers. I mean, you'd think really? that would be an inquiry in its own right. But yeah. the fact that 45... I mean, one of the biggest companies in Australia has testified to the Australian Securities Exchange saying that 45 to 50% of all coal exports in the last 13 years that they've tested have been fraudulent. And, uh, yet, of course, our government won't even acknowledge the problem. No, no, they're deaf to it, completely deaf to it. And the misinformation that they're putting out into these coal communities, particularly the LNP in Queensland, is is really a disgrace. I heard a um, a representative from a a coal coal town last night, and he was very... It was just like listening to a National Party uh, conference, uh, very disparagingly saying... uh, and, uh, and and we're expected to uh, go into the hospitality industry. What hope is there for jobs for us and our community and all this? So it's clear that they're in their ear constantly uh, misrepresenting the transition um, horribly, appallingly. It is. And uh, let's finish on a positive note. I mean, as you said, the International Energy Agency has outlined that world leaders will invest in industries of the future that will drive decarbonisation, it will drive energy deflation and it will drive the development of new industries, new investment and new jobs. And it's Australia's choice whether we vote for that sort of future or whether we vote for more of the same endemic corruption that we've had in the past. So ultimately it's holding on all of us to speak out and to, to vote for politicians on either side of the fence that accept the science and actually are willing to advocate for their own people rather than take fossil fuel bribes. Indeed. And uh, we thank uh, you and uh, and people like you who spend all their time bringing these issues to our attention and uh, informing the community because uh, this way we can hopefully vote for um, a more sustainable future. Exactly. And thank you for your efforts as well, mate. Oh, thank you. It's so good to talk with you. Thanks, Tim. Really appreciate it. Have a great morning. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Well... That was great. As usual, uh, Meg Nielsen from Celebrating Earth and Art, uh, speaking to Tim Buckley from IEFA, and uh, yeah, really uh, bringing home the uh, the message that this uh, misguided flatulence-led recovery has got no future at all. Are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises? Do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips? Would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? Tune in to Environmental as Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want. For the future, we're